Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Scott Richmond and Arnie Sherman. You're listening to What Do You Know on News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. Arnie Sherman, a very good Sunday morning to you. It's always good to start off my Sunday morning with you here, Scott, in the studio. We have a great show lined up, as we always do, for today. We're uh, going to have Sky McGinty, who is the executive director of the All Nations Health Center, visiting us. It's one of 41 urban Indian health programs funded around the United States. We're lucky to have it here in Missoula. They do all kinds of interesting programs, both for physical and mental health and you know, sort of holistic health. They work with a large number of uh, uh, native communities around the state and, and beyond native communities. It's all nations now because it works with anybody that has uh, you know health needs and health problems. Uh, they're in the midst, I think, of early stages of a capital campaign or trying to find a new facility to create a better identity. And I'm interested in learning more about not only All Nations Health Center, but Sky herself, who's got three degrees from the University of Montana. Yes. And has specialized in uh, social justice and inequality and also has an MBA. It's rare when you have someone who mixes the social sciences, so to speak, with, you know, a business degree. Yeah, I was when I first met her, I was really struck by her her background. So, you know, so it's a it's a dual show, a show to learn about what what the uh, organization does, but also uh, a show to learn more about Sky McGinty. Always good to meet new members of the community on the radio show here, and I know she's been up here before, but not with us. Right, so we can she help her faced. share. We can help her share her story in our own inimitable way. Right. <laughs> she hasn't met the two guys from back east. Right. Yeah. It's all about discovery. You know, it's you know we talk about that a lot, but I've been here for twenty seven years now, so I'm really uh, this is the longest I've lived anywhere, anywhere. in my life. So I'm a Montanan. Right, and you know that every day when you meet someone like a Sky McGinty, and you're like, you are a Montana, and this is not unfamiliar to you. You're aware of what she's working on and what she's doing and how it impacts the community. Absolutely. Okay, when we come back, our guest will be Sky McGinty. Back after these words. Arnie, we are back with our guest, Sky McGinty, Executive Director of the All Nations Health Center here in Missoula. Sky, it's good to have you here this morning. How Thanks are you? Thanks for having me. Good. How about you? We're doing great. We're excited to have you here so we can find out a lot more than we already know about All Nations Health Center. Awesome. So you've only been there as the Executive Director for a couple of years now. but Two years this past June. That's right. So, so tell us what you do. Where do you fit into the health you know, kind of sort of continuum and and, uh, a little bit about the history of the organization. Sure. So All Nations has been around in the Missoula community for, gosh, 53 years now. We were incorporated in 1970. And we were a direct result of some really intentional uh, legislation set forth by the federal government, which was really to take Native people from their allotments, from their reservations, and to 
basically forcibly uh, assimilate them into into urban spaces. And so the need for our Native people to practice their culture and to celebrate their heritage and really to be able to connect with their community arose out of that purposeful legislation. And so uh, through a couple of congressional acts, um, urban Indian organizations like All Nations were created really to serve as a hub, as a conduit for our Native people and their culture. Eventually, that became a hub for health as well. As Native people, we know our health and wellness isn't just tied to our physical body. It isn't just tied to our brain. You know, it's also tied to our spirituality and our emotional health as well. Um, And really community health is our health at the end of the day, not just the individual person. It's reflective of our entire families. And so we started out as a pretty humble volunteer centered organization. We made some connections with the University of Montana. We hosted some small wellness fairs, some very basic health education, some immunizations and you know, now we've grown to have almost 50 employees. We have our full-on medical department that we started in 2018. We run the gamut of Western medicine health, really anything you would find at any other healthcare setting, but with that indigenous flavor running through it. So there are 41 urban Indian health programs. That's right. Is this the only one in Montana? Nope. We have four other sister sites. We have the second highest density of urban Indian organizations here in Montana. And are the programs similar or do they really get crafted to uh, what's taking place in the community and fitting into you know where where needs are unmet? Yeah, I would say the philosophy is very similar. We all share, you know, the drive to preserve our culture as Native people and to really have that culturally specific holistic flavor of care. Um, but it really depends on the type of urban community. Obviously, Missoula looks a lot different than Billings. And so we're going to have different priorities than th- those folks might have. And how many clients a year do you serve? Right now we see about 3,500. Wow. And are there more in one area than another? Are they more in health-related services than the other areas that you're dealing with? We see a lot of behavioral health needs right now, which is probably not a shocker to anyone, especially sure. on the heels of the pandemic. Um, we have a lot of youth services, so we serve over 800 Native kiddos right here in Missoula County. Um, mm. So we do a lot of work with that. And then we just started our dental program as well. So that's seeing also a lot of numbers. Well, you mentioned COVID, and you also mentioned just a few minutes earlier that it's talking about community issues. And of yeah. course... Native communities deal with a lot of the issues that other, you know, underrepresented communities deal with, you know, things like safety and racism and, you know, discrimination, you know, violence. You know, we have a movie that's coming out right now about the Osage Indians that are going to that's going to shed a lot of light for a lot of people on, you know, Mm -hmm. a horrible chapter in American history, Mm -hmm. you know, alcoholism, job opportunity, all those sorts of things. And they're all part of not just an individual mental health, but the community itself's mental health. So how do you build trust with a community that's that's been bombarded by lots of different things over, the, over their history? How do you sure. build trust to engage with them on these kinds of issues? Yeah, I think we really started that process 50 years ago. I would say compared to our sister sites in Montana that we really started in a community-based healthcare way. We didn't start out trying to do Western medicine or Western care. We started by building those relationships and bridging that gap and rapport that Native people understandably have with Western medicine, the deep and long history of racism, of medical mistreatment, and, you know, just not wanting to be... distrust. Right, and be subjected to those kinds of environments. And so we help bridge that gap by you know, employing people who have the same lived experiences, who are reflective of our Native community. I mean, nothing builds trust the same way as seeing someone who looks like you or has the same, you know, familiar family name um, that you might have seen in your reservation or rural area. 
Um, and so we're able to build that trust with our folks by literally meeting them where they're at. You know, we're in, ingrained in our community in a way that I think no other health clinic would be. And that's because we really value, you know, those indigenous values of being together, being in community, creating relationships. How, how are we different here in Missoula than mm-hmm. we are in other the other major metropolitan areas of Montana. Oh my gosh, I think Missoula is so fortunate as a community. I think just the appetite for change here. I mean, I think this was an old statistic, but I heard that we have like the most nonprofits per capita like That's true. Right. That's in true. the US, which yeah. I think, you know, really just signifies this community's need and appetite for social change, for the desire to help one another and to be in community. So I think we are incredibly fortunate in a way that, you know, other Montana communities aren't. And do you commiserate and talk to and connect with your other peers in the other communities? Oh, absolutely. Yep. We share a lot of the same advocacy goals, whether that's or the state or federal level. Um, but yeah, we do have a lot of resource connection. Um, we share best practices, tips and tricks, Got personnel it. policies, all of that. So I come back to town, turn on my TV. The first thing I see is you <laughs> Yay, on TV <laughs> talking about Medicare enrollment. And we're in the middle, I think October 15th to December 7th is the Medicare enrollment period, which is confusing to anybody. Right. But when you're dealing with tribal elders mm-hmm. who, you know, maybe are not as familiar with how all of this works as, uh, you know, as people who are in the field, yeah. how do you convey to them, get to them that, you know, what the importance of this and that there's this enrollment period? It's a complicated thing to it try really to simplify <laughs> to explain to somebody. Right. Yeah. So I know the TV spot. It's the first time I've ever seen a TV spot, you know, for a segment of the of the population. Specific to them, them right. But but is is it working or is, is the reason you have it on there is because you have a hard time c- connecting with elders? Yeah. I mean, I hear all the time that people are, are seeing it, which is great. It means it's getting out there. Oh, yeah. um, I think it's a lot of education. You know, I think a lot of those applications are purposely esoteric. Uh, they are just really hard to navigate. And that's discouraging, right? That's defeating to be like, I just don't understand this piece of paper in front of me. And so we do a lot of education, a lot of work with our elders. Of course, that also means getting in with the rest of the family to make sure they have coverage. And of course, well, we've got to help grandma and grandpa get connected to that as well. So a lot of it is just doing that outreach, that education to let folks know that they're not alone and that, you know, they're not the only ones frustrated by the process, but that we're here to help. Now, you have, what, three locations in Missoula? We do, yep. And you're looking to build a corporate identity or corporate headquarters or a new facility? Yep, our own clinic facility. Yep, so right now we're separated between our admin building, um, our medical home, which is our clinic, and then our behavioral health folks as well, which doesn't lend itself very well to our integrated model of healthcare when we can't be physically integrated. You don't have a one-stop shopping kind of operation. That's right. That's the plan. Are you relying on, you know, the St. Pat's and the the different, you know, community hospitals in in town to actually help deliver um, therapies and different, you know, uh, treatments? Yeah, I would say that we're all a part of the same safety net. We're all connected in that way. But really, the the purpose of All Nations and the purpose of urban Indian organizations is to intervene before folks have to go to the hospital. It's that primary care. It's that preventative care, which we know is hard to get every single person into, but Native people especially. Sure. And so really, it's it's about us getting to those health issues before they become health problems. Is that really the number one challenge? <laughs> there are so many challenges. Well, there's got to be one on the top. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that one's definitely one. The insurance piece is always difficult. Um, just letting people know that we're here in the community and that we serve more than just our Native population. Right. Is, yeah, Anybody can one. walk in the door. Absolutely. That's why we're called All Nations. Right. <laughs> Funding. Where does it come from? 
So we hold a Title V contract with the Indian Health Service. So we are contracted through the federal government. Um, that's part of treaty rights from you know some very old legislation when uh, Native tribes first entered a peer-to-peer relationship with the government. And so we have direct funding from them. Um, but honestly, we sort of patchwork our operations through mm. a number of local, state, and federal grant opportunities. And then, of course, we have a third-party billing system that comes from you know our medical and behavioral health appointments. Hmm. And clients pay for some of the services, right? That's right. Yep. We operate on a sliding fee scale. We're here for our most marginalized community members, which are often low-income, Medicaid-eligible folks. So that makes up the backbone of our third party. What would you, for the Missoula community, the non-Native Missoula community, the non-Indigenous community, what would you want them to know about all nations? How would you like them? I mean, they're, to Arnie's point, mm-hmm. a lot of us are first coming into contact with it through uh, TV spots. Yeah. What would you like them to know about the organization? Yeah, I mean, first off, that I mean, we do truly serve all nations. That was originally why we changed our name from the Missoula Urban Indian Health Center, really to be reflective of our community orientation. Of course, that means that we have uh, that cultural thread woven into every single thing that we do, but that's open for every single person. And so I think it's sort of... Um, non-Native people getting over the the gatekeeping of self and saying, you know, I think it comes from a good place of intention of we don't want to take up space where someone else might need to, to have that space like Native uh-huh. folks. Um, but it's so important that, you know, we share our culture and celebrate our heritage with non-Native folks. I mean, that's also the reason that we do what we do. Do you think that there, we could do all do a better job at sharing each other's culture? Oh, 100%. Yeah. And how do we do that? How do we do that? Like, I mean, I, I agree with you. I yeah. think, Some of us aren't cultured, so there's a problem uh-huh. there. But for those that are. <laughs> from, yeah. Right. But how do we do that? Like, because you, I'm impressed. I, we talked couple weeks ago when we first set this meeting up and I was just like, boy, as a spokesperson and as somebody who's articulating a mission, you're second to none. So how would you, you know, say, here's my three point plan. Here's how we're going to integrate a little, a lot more effectively. Man, we're just solving all the world's problems. Right yeah, here. we have to. <laughs> we have to. Nobody else is. Right. <laughs> it happens here, actually. Yeah. Locally. I mean, I think it really starts on that micro-individual level. I think it really starts, you know, being open to experiences outside of your own, being open to other people's realities, and also being humble and recognizing that your culture and the way that you grew up is not the only way. There is no right way, right, to exist as a person. But I think also having the humility to say, you know, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to mispronounce this sacred place. Or I'm going to mispronounce this person's name. Right. Or I'm not going to get it right 100% of the time. None of us can. That's an impossible thing. There are so many different cultures out there. And to be mindful of every single one is, I think, beyond human capability. So I think just having that openness with ourselves of saying, you know, I want to be open to this, but I'm going to make mistakes along the way, and that's okay. So you keep talking about us, and I think for our listeners, you're you're a, an enrolled member of uh, the Shell Little Shell Chippewa Tribe. That's right. Yeah. And the organization started in 1970. Mm-hmm. Clearly, you weren't around in 1970. <laughs> so tell us a little about your background. How did you sure. meander your way? to being the executive director of this organization. I'm still trying to figure that out, quite <laughs> honestly. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm originally from Malta, Montana, I'm over in northeastern Montana, about 60 miles south of the Canadian border. So as you can imagine, it's uh, pretty flat out there, pretty prairie. Um, it's a lot different than over here in our pretty little valley. Um, 
but yeah, I, uh, Missoula was the farthest place I could get away from Malta and still have my Native American tuition waiver honored in state. Nice. Um, I came here one time, I think, when I was a junior in high school and just absolutely fell in love with the mountains and the trees. And we don't have very many trees on the prairie, yeah. so that was really cool to see. Um, and then, yeah, I ended up staying at the University of Montana for for three degrees because I just couldn't get enough of that student loan debt and decided that I wanted uh, even more. More. <laughs> more. Why I not? need more. I want to break the record. I want to <laughs> yeah. break a record here. <laughs> Yeah, and then I um, I tried to get out of Missoula a couple of different times, thought about moving to Seattle or to Portland or maybe even out of the country, um, and the universe told me no, that this is where I needed the to universe. be. The universe, right. Well, yeah. did, did you have any early early life mentors or, or, or folks that influenced you, that helped you steer you in this direction? Yeah, I mean, I, I met my former boss actually when I was in college, and he had a, a really long history of working specifically in urban Indian health mm -hmm. um, and just seeing all of the growth that he had gone through and that he had made in um, you know his communities and different communities that he had been plugged into was really inspiring. But honestly, a lot of my inspiration draws from the matriarchs in my life, my mom and my grandma, who are just, I mean, maybe everybody thinks this about their mom and grandma, but I just find them to be so inspiring women who, in the face of huge adversity and huge trauma just always find the ability to smile and to be kind and to to never let that bog them down and so I think sort of that indomitable spirit is something that I want to carry forward in my work. It's hard to have that indomitable spirit when the the cultural pressures on native communities has been so you know strident over the years I mean it, it it would be hard to always have a you know a positive attitude even in Montana because of the stereotypes and the prejudices and you know the the innate nature of uh, uh, or the ingrained nature of it in, in some people. Yeah, and you have to deal with it. whether you're in Malta, which yep. is the other like Montana's two states is all flat and then Basically. it comes you know, boom and all of a sudden it's like a different <laughs> exactly. Place. Yeah. But in Malta or you know anywhere else in the state. Yep. I mean, that's something we constantly combat. I think, you know, the missing and murdered ind indigenous relatives uh, epidemic is definitely demonstrative of that. It doesn't matter sure. if you're a tribal community, a rural community, or you're right here in Missoula where, you know, right. we're the, at the intersection of a really big interstate. And, you know, we have direct ties to Canada. That's sort of a, a trafficking playground right there. So no matter what it is, I mean, as Native people, we run into those issues wherever we are. You know, and it's one of the most, you know, insidious to me um, indignities that that Native Americans have to suffer because those stereotypes are very hard to break from people that are not part of the community mm -hmm. you know we're seeing a we're seeing a Palestinian Israeli conflict going on now and there's lots of stereotypes you know yeah. being you know foisted on the public related to you know anti-semitism or attacks on Palestinians um, you know, wherever your political preferences or your, you know, your loyalties are. But but natives historically over the years yeah. have always had these very tough stereotypes to uh, to overcome. And, and uh, it fits into all the other things, whether it's health, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's just hard to deal with. It's even hard to talk about to some extent. Yeah. I mean, it's a triple up effect. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we were, you know, and still are the original inhabitants of this land. And, right. you know, to see what it is today can be disheartening and discouraging to right. see, you know, all of the work that we put in here, all of the, the effort we put into building communities that are safe and wholesome and holistic and to see it sort of turned into, you know, the Western I mainstream community. Well, we have you know, right. I had it's one of the guests on one of my other shows, Mariah Gladstone, who has Indigi Kitchen. Yeah, that's you right. Know, and, you know, and her 
cousin is Lily Gladstone, That's who's right. in the, in the film. You know, Mariah talked about how these diets were forced mm-hmm. on you know on reservations, and then you know, and it led to diabetes and all these other kinds of diseases that Native Americans hadn't experienced before that. Yeah, until uh, you know they were forced into right. these regimes by. You know, the conquerors, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Being separated from our traditional food systems has a lot of negative health outcomes. Like you said, diabetes, cardiovascular disease. You know, when things are introduced to our diet, you know, we talk about fry bread a lot, which is part of our resilience story. But that was never part of our traditional diet. I mean, man, is it good? I mean, I love it now. Right, right, right. But, you know, that wasn't what my ancestors were eating. And it's not really any food that really any person should consume for a long time. Sky, do you – so – Arn, to get back to what Arnie was saying with respect to, uh, you know, a lot of pe- people who don't know enough and aren't educated and operate out of fear are disruptive and they like to muddy the waters and me- make the messages kind of meld into each other and mm-hmm. kind of create confusion, yeah. right? So it always feels like education and just persistence and education and 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 being, you know, visible is the way where you're going to break through, mm-hmm. right? So does all nations look to you and do your peers in the state look to you as being someone who could actually kind of rise above the din of, you know, this confusion conversation and create some clarity, you yeah. know? And are they putting you out there in a way where you could really impact more people than just Missoula? Yeah, I mean, I think All Nations certainly does have that platform. I think having had such long-lasting roots in this community, we absolutely have that trust of our Native community and those non-Native people who know us. I think that we're able to advocate on a different level than, say, other groups might. And, you know, as the only Native-led organization that isn't tied to the University of Montana or to MCPS, we often get you know, all of the issues, whether that's climate change or housing or childcare, all of these deep systemic issues that most, you know, disproportionately affect our native people, we are escalated to that platform of do something about it or say something about it. Um, But personally, myself, I I do find it a little bit easier since, you know, I'm a white presenting native person, and I think it's easier for me to to navigate that. And then how do you, in that same breath, prevent you from being co-opted by somebody who needs to, (laughs) right? Uh, say, well, look, I need to, I need to make peace with the indigenous community. We've been, uh, I don't know, we've been developing this this land over here at their expense for so long. We need to get a better relationship, and so they try to co-op you. Mm-hmm. And how do you prevent that from happening? I think a lot of that is my own personal like screening out of things. I think I can sense it a mile off of where that intention is coming it. from. Totally right, <laughs> right on though. Sure. But I mean, yeah, no already, question. Arnie, by, by way of background, has such you know uh, macro view of kind of how things work from his work in Russia to where wow. probably right in in in, in all I've, been, I've been around a lot of pe- groups that have been discriminated against one sure. way or another for you know, and or co opted and, and co opted in time immemorial exactly so like like what advice would you give to Sky? <laughs> right and what advice you know that you've seen because I actually it's hard youthful enthusiasm you know and intelligence and craftiness you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, perseveres. You know, at some yeah. point, you you were in it so long. You know, and you know, elders are to be respected, obviously. But sometimes, when you've been through the battles and the wars for yeah. forty, fifty years, yeah. you know, you have a hard time. You know, trying to regroup, so to speak, and and tackle it. You know, one more time. Yeah. You know, I always admire Joe McDonald. You know, Salish Kootenai College. You know, for yeah. right. for taking on. You know, for always being optimistic and positive and being a great a great community leader. 
Yeah. But it's hard to overcome a lot of a lot of these things, you know. And, uh-huh. uh, at some point, you just sort of, you know, get your dander up, and you just want to dig in and just, you know, say, uh, you know, enough is enough, you know. But, but on the other hand, there are things like, you know, killers that's coming out, Killers of Flower Moon, right? That's going to educate a lot of people to, you know, a horrible his- piece of history, right? You know, and some of uh, some of America's greatest actors are going to be in that portraying bad people doing bad things to good people. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, but that'll break through. And that'll break through. You know, unlike some of the, you know, the stereotypes, like when you watch Yellowstone and they show... I was going to say, yeah, Yellowstone is <laughs> I a I tell perfectly... everybody, I said, <laughs> most of the tribal leaders in Montana don't have a chauffeur-driven limousine, <laughs> <No>. wear $5,000 <laughs> suits, you know, and uh, went to Harvard. That's not usually the tribal leader guys, you know. And that perpetuates a different kind of stereotype for a different reason. Yeah, sure. Well, it's, well, I, I think that the ge- generationally speaking, the younger generation who's more open and who is willing to kind of like keep the slate clean and develop their own opinions, that's your greatest asset, you as a communicator and as an advocate and as somebody who's working with them. And so what are you doing to recruit and educate and speak to that generation because that's the future, right? Yeah, and I mean, as an indigenous value, I mean, our youth are our future, right? I mean, we recognize that the time we have now, the the piece of land that we occupy now is not ours. It belongs to our kids, to the youth. Right. You know, and it's, um, I mean, native cultures aren't a monolith, but generally there's the seven generations teaching that anything that we're doing here, we have to act and behave as if this is going to impact our seventh great, great, great grandkids, you know, and I think also just taking in that um, that value and passing that on to the youth. I mean, they're also thinking in that capacity of what I'm doing now is going to have impacts for my community. And it's really about listening to them at the end of the day and involving them in decision making, sure. not just saying, oh, we think the youth like TikTok. So let's do stuff on TikTok. <laughs> That's great. But they care about things. They're so much more educated, I feel like, than any other generation. They have so much access to what is right and what is wrong. Yeah. And they're able to make those decisions sort of independently of mom and dad's lenses. And so I think just having that safe space where our native youth especially are able to connect to one another and to themselves, that's how we sort of create that platform for them to to take on the issues. Right. Plus, you have a unique perspective. I mean, you're doing it. You know, you're running All Nations Health and a lot of it's related to, you know, physical health. And we're going to get back to talk about behavioral, you know, Medicare and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But you had a sort of a a focus, you know, on issues of social justice. Yeah. And it's hard to look at what has historically happened and what continues to happen through a social justice lens yeah. and feel like I got to do something about this stuff. You know, it just can't. It just can't keep going on and on and on the way it is. Yeah, and I think you know, despite or maybe in in light of my my degrees, I think a lot of Native people sort of have that social justice lens orientation. I always say like DIE, like diversity, inclusion, and equity is woven into every single thing that we do because it's always had to been a struggle for basic human rights, for basic rights to vote, for housing, mm-hmm. for to be seen as humans at the end of the day. Sure. And I think, you know, especially, you know, people in my generation now, we're seeing our parents and our grandparents as survivors of boarding schools, all of the things that they went through and being completely dehumanized and ripped from their culture. Right. Just and, picked up, taken, right. put on a train, shipped someplace east, yeah. put in a different clothes yep. and just treated like 
they, their history right. never existed. Right. Yep. And just to turn out more white people, right, to kill right. the Indian and save the man. And so I think we're seeing a lot of that in my generation and saying, no, we don't want to repeat that. We want to be proud of the people that we are now. And it's, you know, it's kind of cool to be Native again. Like, we want to bring that right. back, not only for ourselves, but for our kids. Right. You know, and, and America in many places is much more of a melting pot than in other countries, you yeah. know, that, that are much more homogeneous you know, than uh, than and a lot of other places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, growing up back east, Scott and I both grew up back east. There were it was a very multi generational yeah. culture, melting pot. You know, total melting pot. Here it's a little bit different. Although I think when um, native population in Montana is almost eight percent, I believe went up a around, lot during the census. Yeah, yeah. So you got you know you have a eighty thousand, ninety. 000, I mean, it's it's the largest minority population in the state. Yeah. Let's do a quick ID. Our guest is Sky McGinty, executive director of the All Nations Health Center. Arnie. I want to get back to your the TV commercial. Okay. We're in the middle of Medicare enrollment. What's your biggest challenge getting people to enroll? I mean, you wouldn't be running this campaign and putting these TV spots if you hadn't if there wasn't a problem. So what's the problem and, and, and what do you have to do to overcome it? Yeah. So specifically, we're doing a lot of Medicaid enrollment, which is, you know, anybody under the age of 64 and on. Um, and really, the the main issue with that is that a lot of folks are low income. Um, they might live in rural areas where you're not getting that letter from the state that says, you know, update your information. Um, a lot of the people who are being disenrolled from Medicaid are due to administrative errors. So maybe they didn't submit their tax filing or, you know, they oriented their driver's license the wrong way, whatever that might be. And, you know, just being ground down by that system, it is a little dehumanizing to say, okay, this is my income. This is my household size, like to justify the reason why you need health insurance. We all need health insurance. It's not a justifiable thing. Right. Um, And so I think that's, that's the biggest thing is just educating folks about the importance of having that insurance, especially our native folks who are used to getting Indian health service. And because we don't pay for our healthcare when we're in an IHS facility coming into an urban area, you kind of make those same assumptions, right? Right. And you're talking about people over 64. So that people that were born in the Mm fifties, You know, who uh, they are a different generation than, yeah. you know, than they're not as computer literate. They're not as easy to go through information and they're not scanning download. the QR codes. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 for a lot of them, they haven't been connected to that system. And that system is the lifeline yeah. into the Medicare world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's such a, you know, when I think about media, like you're using broadcast media. What else are you doing to communicate? What else are you doing to try to get to the, to that community to say this is you need to take advantage of this now? Carrier pigeons, skywriters, <laughs> like a little bit of everything. Um, you know, our native community really flocks to Facebook. So that's where okay. we're doing a lot of our, whether it's programming updates or service closures, whatever it is, that's where we're getting the news out. And that sort of matriculates into families, right? We're really relying on word of mouth, whether mom hears it or uncle hears it or the kid hears it. It's sort of that diffusion of, you know, this is what's going on at All Nations. Or did you know they have this service? Or did you know we need to keep an eye out for this deadline? So we do a lot of Facebook. Um, again, we do a lot of the boots on the ground outreach. So making sure we're embedded at the Western Montana Fair, at the WIC office, at Missoula Public Health, at the Pain Center on campus, wherever our people are, that's where we want to be and that's where we want to be educating them. Have you been involved at all or have you spoken to any of the candidates for running for mayor right now and kind of talked about all nations and, mm-hmm. you know, have they given thought to how they help serve 
the community within the community? Yeah, so I work with Andrea Davis at Homeward um, outside of her mayoral candidacy right. um, as her position as executive director there. And we're working, you know, pretty closely on the Trinity project that's coming online here soon. Okay. Um, Homeward is helping us. Actually, the piece of land that we bought, we're trying to also have a housing component on it. So Homeward is doing a feasibility study for us. Um, so we work sort of in those capacities. Yeah. Got it. So you are one of the rare people who have combined an interest in sociology and, you know, inequity and social justice with a business degree. You have an MBA. It's very counterintuitive. (laughs) Right. But you're now supervising an organization with 50 employees. Mm -hmm. So how does that feel? How much of your time is drained away from your passion interests Mm -hmm. to your administrative issues, running an organization, trying to find a new building, figuring out whether the land could be used for housing, all these other things that take you away from, you know, your original you know, career focus. Yeah. I mean, I think I don't let it is, is really the thing. I make sure that that lens, my sociological training is always there. And then of course my background as a native person and, you know, my, my mother's family and all the lived experiences that come from that. I think that's just interwoven into everything that I do. And I don't think I would be showing up authentically if it wasn't. I think there is the realities of, you know, the politics of business and running a nonprofit in a place that's very saturated with nonprofits. Um, but everything I do is led by those, those values as a sociologist and as the indigenous values that I bring to the table. So in the small time when you're not working, what what <laughs> hobbies and interests do you have outside oh, of all this? What is that like? What are yeah, what is that like? like? You know, <laughs> what is sky about? Yeah, what is sky about? Um, I really love to hike. I'm a hiker. I love the Bitterroots. That's like my second home. Um, I have a little scruffy resmut uh, from Fort Belknap that we hike a lot. Um, that's my favorite thing to do. I used to be really into beading. Was into that for a long time. Um, but yeah, right now I'm I'm really into reading. Just hanging out, drinking coffee when I can. Do you travel? (laughs) Oh, yeah, whenever I can. Where do you like to go? Uh, Me and my good friend just got back from Scotland about a year ago. That was our our nice nice international trip. Where did you go? Where in Scotland? Oh, my gosh, everywhere. Weather Uh, (laughs) worse than we have. That's what you found out, right? (laughs) Yeah, honestly, though, but it is so beautiful (laughs) there. It's a storybook. Because it's never sunny and it's just raining all the time. All the time. But it is like a fairy tale. It's so, so I mean, you went to Edinburgh, right? You saw the castle? I mean, that is fairy tale. It is beautiful. You can see hobbits and dragons (laughs) flying out of the castle in Edinburgh. Yeah, all the fairies in the high. Yeah. You got a favorite restaurant here in Missoula? Oh, here we go. Oh, that's a good one. Um, Or not. I really really love Tamarack. I am like a a hardcore Tamarack. Hard not to like Tamarack. It really is. It's got a lot. It's a very diverse menu, right? You can get, you can probably, I I think I was one time they had fry bread on that menu, in fact. I'm sure they Bulldog, best cocktail in Missoula. (laughs) Were there any restaurants eat in Malta? <laughs> yeah. We have a Dairy station. Queen <laughs> gas station, Dairy Queen. Yeah, corn dogs at the gas station. Everything right? comes in frozen. Yeah, yep, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, how, that's why you travel. Actually. Yeah, exactly. Where, how far to the far to the closest box store from Malta for those of Ooh. our listeners who are new here to get to a Walmart? Well, Ooh. they built a Walmart in Haver, which is about an hour and a half from Malta. But they built that when I was like a senior in high school. Right. Um, I would say about four hours. Great Falls is like the nearest like urban. Hub. Yeah, so the ice cream bars kind of melt by the time you bring it <laughs> the from the box store. I don't know. It's pretty cold up there. So if you put it in the back of the truck, sure. it'll stay cold. That's exactly right. <laughs> what do you think about the explosive growth of Missoula and, for that matter, most of Montana? It's crazy. In the, in the sense of just so many more people or just mm-hmm. traffic, like all the above? I think it's a little bit of all of the above. I mean, I don't think our infrastructure was ready 
for no. that. I mean, I take reserve on the way home and I'm sitting in traffic for like 20 minutes just waiting to get home. Um, I we think have a it's, commute here now. We do, I know. And I was only <laughs> a ever used commute, to... But it's yeah. a commute, but you're right. You, if, if you're going the wrong direction, direction at the wrong time on right. Reserve Street, you're backed up four, five, six lights. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, the traffic jams we had in Malta were, you know, a swather is on the road. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like 10 minutes. <laughs> so there are... There's different reporting. There are 11 tribes, 12. How many tribes in Montana? So there's eight federally recognized. So Little Shell Chippewa was the most recently federally recognized in 2019. We slipped in in a defense bill. But there are also state recognized tribes. So that's where you get like the 11 or the 12, depending on who you ask. And how much do they end up cooperating? I mean, you you know, I understand some of the history. They have their own land. They have their own turfdoms. They have their own leadership. They have their own... You know, they're they're pretty independent. But how do you get them to work together? Because you're trying to work together with all of them. Yeah, I mean, it's a difficulty. I won't lie. I mean, it's it's its own government. It's the same thing as the U.S. working with Mexico and Canada and Indonesia. You know, they're their own independent governments with their own independent sovereignty, um, right? Their own lands, their own resources. And so sometimes it is, I think, difficult. I do think we do, as Native people, sort of have the upper hand in terms of collaborating with one another because we share that value that at the end of the day, it's about the community. It's not about us. And sometimes in government, you don't get that. You get, you know, the greed and the selfishness and the I'm looking out for me and my family. But I think as Native people, we understand that whatever we're doing well, we can do well for all of us, not just for one. How do you get or how do you get how can we impact the indigenous community, the native community to maybe vote more, to be more politically active, to be more socially active? Because I think there's a lot of communities within Montana that, you know, they just like, oh, well, I can't impact this. So I kind of throw my mm-hmm. hands up. Yeah. I mean, I think there's differing philosophies all across the spectrum, right? I think some native people would say I'm not interested in voting. I'm not interested in participating in the system, you know, that has oppressed us for since white contact in 1492. And then I think that sort of swings the other way of I'll only vote in presidential races, whereas we know, you know, that local races are really the ones that have the most right. impact on our lives. Absolutely. But I think, you know, it's kind of striking that balance of, you know, it is important to participate and to be, you know, in your community and to have that civic participation, you know, whether or not it aligns with your values is sort of a, a call you have to make at the end of the day. Um, but I think it's, you know, with most things, it starts with the youth. It starts with getting the message out to them. And to have and to have a voice and a seat at the table as well. Yeah. Right. That's uh, that changes everything or can mm-hmm. It's the start of changing everything when right. you can start having a seat at the table. Right. Yep. And in a way that feels authentic to our communities. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw what happened down in um, Arizona, this last presidential Mm. race um, with the Navajo and the Diné folks, like literally riding horses to the polls. You know, it was just a whole column of horses and their regalia and, you know, the native people down there and their regalia and making it authentic to us and saying, we are literally riding to the polls. We are doing something that we have done forever. Our ways of life focused around this animal, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're going to go and and show up. Yeah. Which is cool. Which is, you know, important. Right. Absolutely. So you report back to your funding sources, right? They they we want do. yeah, as most not non profit <laughs> organizations have to be accountable to yeah. the people giving them money. What do you describe to them as the most unmet needs in the community here? Ooh, that's a good one. I mean, behavioral health is a really tough one. Yeah. I would say, you know, we are able to bill for the things that 
the Western mainstream community thinks is billable. Billable, right. But again, our health and our wellness is so much more about that ingrown toenail or about our mental health at the end of the day. Right. And we can't bill for things like traditional services. We can't bill for a sweat lodge or for smudging someone's house or providing traditional mm. guidance or having ceremony. But that is health and wellness to us. That at the end of the day is the crux of Native health. And to have that sort of pushed aside of like, no, that's ancillary or that's just right. a bonus. That's really difficult because we want to be doing that work. We want to bring people back to ceremony and into traditional life ways and understandings. But when it doesn't have a return on investment at the end of the day, it's really hard to play ball in the capitalistic mm. scape we're in. Mm-hmm. That's what I was afraid of. <laughs> that was Yeah, that was the answer I was afraid of too. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you're dealing with all of these, particularly when you're trying to approach things from a holistic way right. and to maintain, you know, cultural integrity mm-hmm. – and to try to meld in with an establishment right. that is, in many ways, condescending to the you know the native community as it is to other minority communities. Often, you know, uh, you know, we did all these horrible things, and we'll throw them a bone. You know, I can say that as an outsider. I mean, it's 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 never been fairly, you know, and probably never. It's not possible to to fairly resolve what what you know transpired Past. you know the movement in california to to give slaves you know money for right. what happened to them. i mean it's just so hard to unbundle and unwrap all of that but moving forward you can do something you know more concrete and you know you're just you know articulating very clearly how difficult it is from saying we want to do these things and then when you bring to bring to the table the things that really need to be done if you really want to get this accomplished and having them say, well, that's not the way we see it. Right. And we being outside the the community and outside the bubble, it's a tough, it's a tough set of dynamics, you know, and it's not unlike some of the other places in the world outside of the United States where there's conflict and, and there's history and, you know, there's finger pointing and it's hard to unravel everything. And it's, and it's being looked at from a perspective that is not, in, it's not organic to the to the culture and the population you're dealing with. Yeah. Well, and and related conversation, you know, thought on what Arnie just said, post pandemic, and just looking at our society today with the the polarization. I mean, it, everybody has just retreated in their corners and they can't find a middle place to meet and accept each other's points of view, and. You go through something like a pandemic, which really challenges, challenged everybody, right? But surely had a profound impact on the indigenous and the native community. How do you um, look at that? And then you said Facebook, it happens to be probably the most important way of communicating with the community. How do you take all of that and say, we have to get better. We have to be better, right? We have to not let those things distract us. Yeah. I mean, I think if any silver lining came out of the pandemic, I think it underscored the resilience that all of our communities have. Mm. I mean, we faced truly a global trauma together. And that was such a rich opportunity for us to come together and say, we've got you. I've got you. Right. That you might not be my blood relative, you might not even be my neighbor, mm. but we all inhabit this little round marble. And therefore we have an obligation to take care of one another. And I think, especially for the native population, you know, we lost so many people and so many elders in particular, our knowledge keepers, our our culture keepers. I think, you know, not to 
to decentralize it. But I think, you know, having gone through boarding school era, having gone through the 60s scoop era, having gone through this forced assimilation, it's just one additional trauma that's like, okay, we've been through this. We know that we can get through it. There are going to be huge, huge losses. But we know at the end of the day, as a community, we'll make it on the other side. I love your optimism. I remember being in Northern Ireland Mm. 20 Mm. years ago, and I heard uh, somebody in a conversation say, I could, you know, I could never live, you know, in a Protestant dominated because my uncle in 1821 was killed by <laughs> right. a Protestant. Right. I mean, that's how, you know, ingrained it was. And, you know, it's hard to have, I'm being honest, hard to have a lot of optimism after, you know, what the indigenous community in, in right. this country has gone through. Well, to your point, Scott, I think, you know, that really underscores, you know, why we see that division and that divisiveness in our communities is because we are holding on to those things from so long ago. Like we have long memories, which is great. We don't want to completely cast away those those traumas or those oppressions. But in order to move forward as people, we have to recognize that we are that, that we are people, that we're humans at the end of the day. And and you don't want to be reminded of it, but you have to be reminded of it. I mean, it's a weird combination. I mean, uh um, we just saw Ken Burns just had the, uh, the you know the American Buffalo written by my friend Dayton Duncan. Right, the last thing he did, and to watch that, it's just it makes me angry and disturbed and sickened that 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 took place. And I, you know, and it didn't happen directly to me, but it happened indirectly to me because it's part of it's part of our history, part of our culture, and something you know to be ashamed about if you were engaged on you know on the other side of it. What's happening in you know, in Israel, what happened in Afghanistan, what's right. happening in Africa. I mean, it happens a, a lot around the world. The difference is, this is our community, and this is our state. And, our he- and here. you know, we have a monument in the state to Custer. <laughs> but it's the only monument, I think, in the United States to somebody who lost the war. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and that shouldn't be. You know, it's a still a glorification, you know, of, of you, know, you know, the loser, not the winner. Right. You know, of that travesty. Anyway. Do you have aspirations? I know how you're going to answer this. <laughs> but do you have aspirations after all nations? Where else? What's next for you? Because uh, you're incredibly impressive and, you know, you're well thought. I don't need to tell you what you are. You know what you are. <laughs> but is there a thought like, hey, maybe I could have a profound impact if I went over here or here? What do you think I'm going to say? <laughs> I know what you're going to say. You're a good politician. But no, but we're not going to put words in your mouth. That would be yeah, wrong. That would be that's, wrong. Yeah, that's antithetical. Okay, but you <laughs> yeah. kind of answered my question yeah. by asking the question. So I like that answer because I feel like <laughs> she didn't even have to say anything. And, it wasn't, and you're giving a. We're yeah. so good at inferring uh, giving the answers for you. <laughs> right. Let me tell you what you want to say. No, but <laughs> what? Uh, what are those thoughts like? You know, how can you have? greater impact across the community. Yeah, I mean, I get told a lot that I should go to D.C., and that's just, I've been to D.C. a couple of times. I don't think that life is for me. There's so many no. people. I grew up in a tiny, tiny town. Malta. <laughs> Malta. The last place you want to go is D.C. Yeah, no, right. No, <laughs> it's always better being the outsider putting pressure on than being the insider totally. trying to deal with it. I right. Totally. That. Yeah. But is that it? Is that kind of like what can you do here and kind of spread outwards in terms of your impact and your influence? Yeah, I mean, I love the Missoula community, and I I love this Native community. I love this land. I can't imagine, like, thinking about leaving it, like, makes me emotional, and I just can't think about that time in my Mm -hmm. life. Um, But I think if, you know, if I were to go anywhere, I'd I'd 
would probably want to go international. And it sounds like, Arnie, you have a lot of experience in that. So maybe you can give me some tips and tricks later. Um, But I think about, you know, all the Aboriginal and Indigenous communities around the world. And, you know, one struggle against uh, colonization is all of our struggles against colonization. Right. Mm -hmm. In any way that I can help in that. um, These stories are repeated everywhere. You go to New Zealand and hear about the Maoris. And I mean, it's just. And that's where I'd want to go, honestly, is New Zealand. Right. Well, because it's (laughs) very, it's very similar. I mean, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Listen, let's take a quick break. Our guest is Sky McGinty, Executive Director of All Nations Health Center here in Missoula. Back after this. Arnie, we are back with our guest, Sky McGinty. Sky, so tell us, tell our listeners, what events are coming up? And more importantly, how do they get a hold of your organization? How do they reach out to All Nations Health the most easy and direct way? Sure. Uh, we have a website. We're at allnations.health, H-E-A-L-T-H. Um, our direct clinic line can be reached at 406-829-9515. You can always stop by the clinic. and um, There's always something going on, so feel free to always pop in. Um, but we have a lot of irons in the fire, which I think is not unique to any one nonprofit, but right. we're always doing something. Um, during the fall, you know, we have um, Native American Heritage Month coming up, so we'll do a number of round dances at the university. We actually just hosted a Halloween carnival for some native youth. Um, we're always doing something with winter bingo, also trying to get outside and, you know, be physically active as much as we can in this valley in wintertime, um, especially, you know, gathering with our elders and having that intergenerational programming. Uh, we run a really popular program called Soup and Stories, where we give out fresh produce and ingredients. We make a traditional meal together, and then um, we tell creation stories or anecdotes from our elders, and really just a way for us to gather in an authentic communal way. Um, and then into 2024, we'll be looking at the capital campaign and really raising all the funds for our new building. That doesn't sound like much. No, not at all. <laughs> How no. much are you trying to raise? That's, that's tomorrow. Right. <laughs> Um, right now we're, uh, honing, honing in at about $6 million. The total project will be about 22, 25 million. Nice. No small feat. Arnie knows something about that. We've had a lot of guests in, uh, who are doing we're capital raising campaign. money. Right. Yeah. Capital campaign. A lot of good things happening. Yeah. We just, we helped out with the YMCA's right. campaign, which yeah. was really important to have early childhood, you know, daycare and yeah. all those sorts of things. And yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, the station will be happy to work on the campaign with you as well. I appreciate it. Yeah, we'll help. Thank of you. course we will. And are there speaking of other organizations within town, who are the ones that you traditionally work with or pretty much everybody, right? But like just about Watson <laughs> Children's Shelter, like everybody. Yeah, yep. We work really closely with um, MCPS Indian Education Department for All. I know they have a different name, but that's how I've known them. Um, our sister federally qualified health center, partnership health center here in town. What about First Family? Yep, we work with them. Um, Mountain Home, shout out to my good friend Steph Goble over there. They serve about 70% Native women and their children, so mm-hmm. we collaborate quite a lot with them too. Anybody in the health and social service resource area, that's where we are. Wow, you guys are far-reaching and you're a connector. You're a connector. What's the email address, or not the email, what's the website address again? Allnations.health. Allnations.health. All right. This has been a wonderful hour. Very enjoyed. Yeah, thank you Very for having me. Very much enjoyed spending time with you. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Really delightful conversation. Thanks for coming up. Yeah, thanks for Arnie, I'll me. see you next week. Next week, Scott. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. 
Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.